Okay, here's what I want you to think about as we get started with Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Opening illustration is this question. Have you ever experienced buyer's remorse? Okay, have you ever experienced buyer's remorse? Like, you buy something and think, this is going to be amazing. Like, this is going to change everything. You're going to buy a car or a house or president. Or maybe you, you sign up for a particular group or you're going to be a part of a particular friend group. And after a little while, maybe a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, you start to think, oh, man, I wish I could have that to do over again. Um, I still remember as a high school student playing golf, wanting to play golf, I watched this infomercial about a putter, and I'm a historically bad putter when it comes to playing golf, okay? You'll see that next Sunday morning when my wife and I compete in putt-putt Christmas Eve morning on stage up here, but uh, I'm a historically bad putter. But in high school, I saw this infomercial, and on this commercial, the putter made everything. Like, it was, it was incredible. Like, everything went in. So I, you know, get my money as a high school kid. I'm going to buy that putter. The putter came in the, the mail, and I took it out to use it, and I found out it might be the person using the putter and not the putter. <laughs> That's the problem. And I actually found this old putter in my dad's garage that I invested everything that this is going to change my life and it did not change my life. And we know the feeling of buyer's remorse. You're going to get something. Now i got to figure out where to put this. How about right there? You get something, you're going to sign up for something, it's going to change everything. Okay, what does that have to do with these verses? It feels like in the book of Hebrews, follow me on this, but it feels like in the book of Hebrews, the people who are a part of the church the people who have begun to follow after Jesus, they are actually starting to have some buyer's remorse about connecting with the church, about following Jesus, about faith in Jesus. They've been doing this. They've been following Jesus and connecting with the church. And to be honest, it's a little harder than they anticipated. It's cost them a lot more than they anticipated. They've had to give up some relationships. They've lost some possessions. They lost some jobs. They're facing a lot of embarrassment and shame from people around them. And there seems to be a sense in this book that the people are saying to themselves, is it worth it? Like, is, is this really the direction I want to go with my life? Do I want to continue to go down this road? Now, why do they feel that way? Well, people, friends, people they know are speaking into their lives. People begin to whisper in your ear, Man, why are you a Christian? Like, why do you go to church? What's even the purpose behind that? Why do you spend your time doing that? Why do you invest your life in that? Why, why would you believe something like that? And you begin to have these temptations. You begin to have these thoughts about, is this really what I want to give my life to? Is this really what I believe? Is this the road that I'm going to go down? And you start to have those questions that begin to develop. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. Kids, you guys have seen this diagram you know how to draw this diagram for your friends at school. We talk about this at different times. This is our famous three circles diagram. You start up in the top left. I say it's ours. We've changed it and kind of made it ours. We've also borrowed it from people. It's kind of a collaboration. At this point, we're going to call it ours, but we borrowed it as well. Made, made a few changes. Up in the top left, everything begins with God. God is good, and he does good things. He is worthy of everything we have to give. When we go away from God, that leads to the X. That leads to brokenness and pain and difficulty in the world. And all those squiggly lines, we're going to talk about those squiggly lines this morning. Those are our personal attempts in the world to deal with pain and brokenness and sin in our lives and in the world. However, 
if you repent and you believe in Jesus, if your life goes through the cross, you are made new and you are able to be with God forever. You're able to live your life fully for him. This is what we want our lives to look like. This is what the message of Jesus, the gospel does in our lives. Now, let me show you what the people are facing in the book of Hebrews. Here's the temptation they're dealing with in the book of Hebrews. Hmm, maybe I don't want to keep going forward. Maybe I want to begin to turn back and go back to the way I lived before I became a Christian, before I got serious about my faith, before I got reconnected with church. Because this isn't really quite as good as I thought it was going to be. Maybe I'll go back to how things were before. That's the temptation. That, that's the pressure. Now let me say a couple of things about this, and we're going to get right into the verses. Number one, let me make a theological comment here. When we think about the Bible as a whole and as we understand salvation, there are going to be people in the room who are going to disagree with me about this, and this is the beauty of Emmaus. These are one of these things we disagree on as a church, but we have incredible unity around the gospel, and so I, I love that. My understanding of Scripture is once you have truly become a follower of Jesus, you become a Christian, that you can never lose that reality. You're always a part of the people of God, that when you have been truly saved, that that is true of your life forever. Some people think that that's not the case, that there are times that you can lose that salvation. Those are complicated decisions, difficult decisions. I want you to know where I stand on that, that once you're truly a follower of Jesus, you can never lose that salvation. The author here, though, is a pastor, remember? The book of Hebrews is a sermon that's being put into your Bible. He's a preacher, and what he's doing is he is speaking pastorally. And when he looks out of his church, he doesn't know what is going on in the heart of every person at that church. He's not able to see how they fully stand before the Lord. There are people in this room who you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and we're going to call you away from sin, away from living for yourself, and call you to live for Jesus. There are people in this room that you could look back in your life and maybe you went to vacation Bible school or you were baptized as a kid or your family goes to church or all these things, but there's not a lot of faith at work in your life right now. And you're dealing with a lot of questions about whether or not you're truly a follower of Jesus, whether you've truly been saved. And there are also people in this room that you're making your way around this and you've experienced God's work in your life, but you'd be kind of embarrassed to say, man, sometimes I'm just tempted to go back. I'm tempted to go back to how things were before. I'm tempted to turn away from Jesus. I wander so easily away from him, and I miss out on what Jesus has for me. Let's walk our way through these verses this morning. We're going to start back in verse 9. Go back and pick up some of the Abraham story. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. Let's work our way through some of this story. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 says this. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then verse 10 says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. A couple of things about that verse. First, if you love to design and build things, Maybe you struggle with reading, you struggle with school, but you love to design and build things. Don't miss the reflection, that is, of the character of God, of how God works in the world. Uh, it's, it's amazing to see this, uh, this part of who God is live, lived out here. Also, don't miss, what's the key for Abraham? 
He is looking forward. He is looking forward. He believes God's at work. He wants to draw near to God's presence. He wants to be with God forever. He wants to go forward on this mission that God has for him. He is looking forward. Faith looks forward because we trust that God's at work and we want to be a part of that. Now, skip down to verse 15. What do we know about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. This morning, if you like to take notes, there are three things in these verses that we are tempted to turn back to, okay? Number one is the temptation to turn back to our comfort zone. We're gonna find three things that we're tempted to turn back to. The first one here is Abraham is tempted to go back to his homeland to go back to his family, to go back to what it would have been his comfort zone. This is that temptation in your life to go back to what's familiar, to go back to what's safe, to go back to what is easy. Sometimes this temptation comes if you have a personality that says, man, life would be good if people would just leave me alone. <laughs> like if I, could just, if I could just do my own thing, like I'm just kind of a homebody, I just want to do my own thing, take it easy, I wouldn't say this, but you know, just kind of live however it's easy and safe. If you have a personality that's always looking back to the good old days, like why aren't things like they used to be? If we could just go back to a simpler time, an easier time, man, I wish we could just get back to that. A lot of times this temptation plays into our desire for control. I want to control my schedule. I want to control who's around me. I want to control what happens tomorrow. Like I just want to do, if there's like, who... Now I'm blanking on stage. Was it Staples that had the commercial that you could hit the easy button? Staples, Office Depot, I forget which company that was, but there was the famous commercial with the red easy button. The temptation in life is I'm just going to hit the easy button. Whatever's easy, whatever's comfortable, I want to draw back to that. The danger there, though, is you're just living defensively your whole life. I'm going to do what's easy for my family. This is that temptation. Do you know getting connected to a church is hard and messy, and there's kind of some weird people here. Like, you know, like it's, it can be difficult to be connected to a church. It's hard. So I'm just going to back away, and I'm just going to be with the people like me, who I like to be around, who are easy to be around. I'm just going to take that approach, and faith continues to push us out of that. Faith continues to push us into the presence of God, to be with the people of God, to be on the mission that God has put in front of us. And if you're the kind of person who is tempted to just go back to your homeland, go back to your family, retreat to what's easy, remember that faith calls us forward. Faith calls us out of our comfort zone. Now you might be saying, are you telling me that I just need to leave my family? That I need to move? I need to leave my home? Is that what you're telling me to do? No, that's, that's not it. That would mean every time you read these verses, you just have to move somewhere new. Like that, That's not what it means to apply these verses. Hear me out here. These verses, this temptation, is not about how, it's not about where you live, it's about how you think about where you live. So the difference is, the temptation here is that you would live closed-handed, close to the chest. You're going to keep everything close. What does faith call you to do with your life and your home? To live like this. God, this home is yours. These kids are yours. I, I can't. I can try to protect them. I can try to care for them, but they're yours. 
my job, my career, everything is yours. And so it's not my job to hold on and control and be defensive about everything. I need to learn to trust you and to move forward and to be excited about what you're doing in the world. That's the first temptation. All right, let's go to the second one. We get to our friend Moses down in verse 23. Verse 23, let's see what happens with Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, Moses' parents here, like all parents, like the child's beautiful, like this child's going to be special, going to amount to a lot. And that Moses' parents were not afraid of the people in power. They were going to trust God to be at work in this child's life. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Man, don't miss that verse. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses, if you want to, if you will just stay in Pharaoh's house, you can have all the money you want, you can have all the power you want, you can have all the pleasures in this world that you want, and Moses said, no, I'm not going to go that direction. I would rather be connected with God's people, with his work, even if it means I miss out on all these other things. Verse 26 gives you a summary of this. He considered the reproach of Christ, sharing with what Christ went through, he considered that greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Number two. So remember, number one, Abraham was tempted to turn back to his comfort zone, turn back to his homeland. Number two, Moses was tempted to turn back to the wealth and the worldliness that you find there in Egypt. This idea of the temporary pleasures of sin, the the treasures of this world, living for money, sex, power, all those things that tend to dominate our lives and dominate the world. Think about this. You go back to the Old Testament part of your Bible. Go back to the Old Testament part of your Bible, and you're reading about the exodus of the people out of Egypt. So God's people were enslaved in Egypt. They're living under this foreign power. They're suffering in all these ways, and they cry out to God. And through Moses, they're rescued out of Egypt, and they go through the Red Sea. And they are celebrating, and they're excited. Do you know what happens about two or three days after they're taken out of Egypt? They start to grumble and complain because they can't find enough food. They can't find enough water. And you know what the people begin to say? We would rather go back to Egypt and be slaves there because at least we would have food to eat then we would rather do that than be free and have to trust in God to provide. And man, there's a lesson there for us. You're here this morning, and God has rescued you out of some really dark places in your life. God has saved you from a life that could have so easily been given to the things of this world, and Jesus saved you out of that, and you begin to see his goodness, and there's a part of you that says, but man, I would like to go back to that. I'm tempted to go back to that. I think about our friends at Hope is Alive in the addiction recovery process, how you come out of that darkness, you come out of that difficulty in a way you can't even explain there's still a draw to go back, to go back to that way of living. Even though you know it's slavery and you know that darkness, our hearts are still drawn back that direction. And the word of God says, do not turn back. 
You know what God has brought you out of. You know what he has rescued you from. Don't go back to those things. Why do, we, why do we give our lives to those things? Well, some people do it because they say, I only have one life to live, so I'm going to live it up. I'm going to chase everything I can find in this world. I'm going to chase every experience I can find. We're always chasing after something. I was talking to my wife this last week, though, about this. She had an amazing point about this. We were talking about why do people turn back? Why do they chase after the things that you see up here on the screen? Why do we do that? And she said a lot of times people do that because they're trying to numb some sort of other situation going on in their life. There's something painful happening in a person's life. There's a hole. There feels like there's something missing in your life. And you begin to try to fill it with all the things of this world. And you try to fill it and you try to numb. And it's like putting a Band-Aid over a bullet hole. It's missing the point entirely. Instead of turning back and seeing that Jesus is able to answer that problem. He's able to fill that hole. He's able to bring that healing. And if you're here this morning and you are tempted to numb the pain in your life with all the things of the world, can I tell you the the problem with that is it will never be enough. It will never be enough. You always need another party. You always need another hookup. You always need another drink. You always need another dollar. We're always chasing after something else to fill that void, to, to numb that pain, and Jesus is able to satisfy. He is good. He is able to heal. He is able to give true life. We turn to him, and we are not going to go back to that because that is not where true life is found. C.S. Lewis has a really famous quote about this. You probably have heard this, but I wanted to put it out there for you again. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Turning to Jesus does not take away the joy and fullness of life. It is where true life and true joy is found. He has rescued us out of darkness into his marvelous light, and we will not go back. We will not go back because the way of Jesus is so much better. And so we want to draw near to him. We want to be with him with forever. We want to live for him in this world. And we're not going to allow our lives to be taken away, stolen, and wasted on all the things of this world. Number one, Abraham was tempted to hit the easy button. Go back to his home. Just do whatever he wanted to. Moses was tempted to go back to all the world and the wealth, the things that were provided. Number three, We've got to get a little bit further here. Verse 27. What happened? By faith, verse 27, it says, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses' parents weren't afraid of the king, and Moses is not afraid of the king. Spiritually courageous parents can lead into spiritually courageous kids. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You may not remember this story in the Old Testament, but this is important because we're going to take the Lord's Supper together this morning. This is that famous story in the Old Testament where at the 10th plague, where the firstborn were going to be taken from each family, if they put blood on the doorpost of their house, the angel of death would pass over and they would be saved and rescued. How did they know that that was going to work? 
They didn't other than they trusted in God's word and his power to save. And so this is another example of that faith. Verse 29, kind of run through the rest of these here in, in chapter 11. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So verse 29, the water falls in on the people. Verse 30, the walls fall in on the people who are not a part of the people of God. Verse 31, by faith Rahab the prostitute. Talk about again somebody that could go back to a former way of life. Rahab the prostitute, she did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. She had trusted in the plan of God, the people of God. Verse 32, what more shall I say for time would fail me? I love that comment as a preacher. Like I'm running out of time, but honestly I've got time for like eight more verses, okay? So uh, it's like a true preacher comment. I've got all these other guys I would love to tell you about. I'm running out of time, but I'm gonna pick up speed here and keep talking to you about these people. Who's he talking about? Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Verse 32, there's some bad dudes in those verses. Those, you go back and read some of those verses. Those are some hard stories to read, but they still trusted in the power of God. Verse 33, what happened with that faith? Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Kids, you guys remember Daniel and the lion's den? That's that right there in your Bible. Stop the mouth of lions. Verse 34, quench the power of fire. We could probably pick up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's that story in the Old Testament. Escaped the edge of the sword, remained strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Man, that's what faith does. Like faith conquers in those ways. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. In your Old Testament, there's a story about the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha, both of whom allowed or or were used by God for a a little one to come back to life and be restored to their mother. So there's there's stories in the Old Testament about that. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Let me say something about verse 35 before we go on. You look at the top of that, verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Let's talk about this part of faith here, okay? Sometimes faith means that you experience a miracle in your life or your family. There's a diagnosis, there's something going on in your family, and through faith, God brings a miracle in that situation. Sometimes faith means that God gives you the strength to endure through a situation that does not go the way you want, does not go the way that you pray. In the book of Acts, there's a famous story there in Acts chapter 12 where James is killed. He's one of the early church leaders, and Peter is miraculously rescued from prison. And if we're not careful, we see that, and we're like, well, Peter must have had more faith than James. It's not the way the story works. Sometimes through faith, God brings a miracle. And sometimes through faith, God sustains you through a situation that you couldn't get through on your own. And when we look at those situations, it's so hard because you rejoice with your friend 
who experiences healing and you mourn with your friend who doesn't experience healing and faith is present in both of those situations. Don't get sucked into a trap that says, if I have faith, X will automatically happen. I have faith, and God is going to work in a way that is good, and I can trust him, and we will be involved in what he does, and we'll love the people around us. Verse 36. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. You're like, whoa, I missed the vacation Bible school where somebody was sawn in two. Uh, like, where, where did that happen? Like, where's that Bible story that somebody got sawn in two? Like, I missed that one. That'd be great for, like, fourth grade boys Sunday school. But um, what, what's going on there is tradition says that that's what happened to Isaiah at the time of his death. You're not going to find that in your Bible. It's, it's not a Bible story, but it's part of the tradition with the prophet Isaiah. And so if you're wondering, hey, where's that verse? It's tied to the, the tradition related to the prophet Isaiah. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Verse 38 has one of the greatest phrases in the entire Bible, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. We live in a world of influencers, and this verse says, you want to find somebody that's worthy of looking up to in life? These are the people we're looking up to in life. Verses 39 and 40. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, this idea of all the people of God brought together, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Okay, let's review here. What was the first temptation? Well, you find it in the book of Genesis with Abraham. The temptation was to turn back to your comfort zone, protect your family, just do whatever's easy, take the easy way out. That's the first temptation. Number two, you find it with Moses. Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I skip Leviticus in there, all those beginning books of the uh, Old Testament. The temptation Students, hear me out on this because this temptation just, ah, it's so hard for you guys. I'm trying to follow Jesus, and man, it looks like it'd be more fun to go another direction. Like, we're drawn to, to follow that direction. Number three is the temptation to turn back to social acceptance. All of these verses toward the end of Hebrews 11 show the value of being part of the people of God. Why is the preacher reinforcing that? Because there are people in this church that are really, really concerned about how people outside of the church think about them. We live in a world where we will do almost anything to be liked and accepted by certain groups of people. We'll put anything online, we'll post anything, we'll say anything, we'll do anything. In a world that is so tribal, we just want to be liked and accepted by whoever that group is out there that we want to be liked and accepted by. We're, we're drawn to that. We, we desire that. Can I tell you the danger with that? The goalpost is always moving on what it means to be accepted by society, by that group out there. You chase someone's acceptance. You want to prove yourself to them. You want to be impressive. You want to be a part of their group, and you do everything to be a part of that group. And then you find out, oh, man, that's not how you're part of this group anymore. They don't, they don't like me. I did everything so they would like me. And now they could care less. They've moved on to something else. We're always chasing this acceptance. 
And these verses say, you want to find true acceptance? By faith, turn to God who makes you part of his family. And you will always know what it means to be accepted. You will always know what it is to find peace and stability and hope for your life. Not chasing it out there. Whose acceptance do we really want? Whose acceptance matters most? Is it what God says or is it what people are saying? Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 has this great comment from Paul where he talks about this idea that if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of God. I can't serve God wholeheartedly and be constantly worried about whether or not I'm pleasing other people or being accepted by them. What makes the difference? What keeps you from turning back to all these things? So I've used my best, best preacher voice here, and I'm telling you not to turn back to the easy way, not to turn back to the things of the world, not to turn back to the acceptance of society, but to give your life to Jesus. What makes the difference in that? It's faith. It's faith in a God that you can't see, but who created all things and calls you to himself. It's faith in the Passover God who makes a way for your sin to be dealt with, to overcome death. It's faith in the Exodus God who is able to lead his people through the valley of the shadow of death and take them to the promised land. It's faith in the powerful God who's able to knock down walls and defeat enemies. It's faith in a redeeming God who is able to take tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and Pharisees and change their identity, change their lives forever. It's faith in a victorious God who overcomes enemies and overcomes death. It's faith in a sustaining God who is able to carry us through the darkness and pain and difficulty in this world. And it is faith in the eternal God who is faithful to the very end and will one day make all things new. And do you know where you find that kind of God? You find that kind of God in Jesus, who makes the invisible visible, who himself is the Passover lamb, who himself is the new Moses that leads his people out of slavery and sin, who himself is the one powerful enough to knock down walls and defeat enemies, who himself is the one who redeems and changes our identity, who himself is the one who is victorious over sin and death, who himself is able to sustain us through all the things of this world, and through himself who is eternal, who will never let you down, who is able to be victorious for all things and will return one day to make all things right. That is where we find life. That is where we find hope. In faith, we turn to Jesus. Not to our homeland, not to the things of the world, not to society, but to Jesus. And we have a chance to celebrate that this morning as we take the Lord's Supper. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. God, we are a people who are prone to wonder. We... <laughs> We see all the good things that you've done for us and given us and we just chase squirrels and we go other directions and we chase the things of this world and we want to be liked by people at school and at work and sometimes we just want to give up and go home and sit down and do nothing else. And that is not where true life is found. Father, help us to know this morning that life is found when we draw near to your presence through Jesus. 
when we are part of the people of God, committed to the mission of God. God, that's what we want to be. That's who we want to be. If you're here this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, which of these things are you living for? Are you just trying to live the easiest life you can? Have you spent your life chasing every pleasure, everything that you could find with money or power or sex or whatever it might be? Are you trying to be accepted by people? Like, what, what, are you, what are you living for? And I would call you this morning, if you are not a Christian, that true life, true eternal life is found through Jesus. Would you give your life to him? Turn away from all the things you've been living for this morning that you would trust in Jesus for salvation. We'd love to pray with you about that. If you're here this morning, you are a Christian, and you know in your heart you are tempted toward one of these things. You're tempted just to disconnect from church and from, from faith. Maybe you're tempted that all throughout the week you're chasing the things of the world and you're not living for God, or, or you're just wanting to be liked by people. That this morning, you would repent of that and you would be reminded of how good faith in Jesus really is, what he has done for you. And so here in a moment, we'll have a chance to celebrate that through the Lord's Supper. Father, we believe, we trust in you, that you are good and you do good things. And so God, we remember that, we celebrate that now through the taking of the Lord's Supper. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 